Today's episode is sponsored by Tamron Americas. Tamron offers high-performing lenses for Sony, Nikon, and Fujifilm mirrorless cameras, as well as Canon and Nikon DSLR mounts, catering to every photographer's diverse needs. One of my favorite and most reliable lenses that I shoot with is the Tamron 28-75mm f2.8 G2 lens for Sony E-mount cameras. This lens has truly become an indispensable tool in my kit and I find myself consistently reaching for it in my landscape and nature photography. I've used it in the Rocky Mountains of Canada, out on the west coast of California, the Red Rocks of Sedona, and many other places. If I had to use one word to describe this lens, it would be versatile. The newest G2 version of the 28-75mm has some awesome improvements. It's got better image quality while still remaining lightweight. The minimum object distance when shooting wide is much closer, meaning improved close-up performance. It's scratch and fingerprint resistant. Autofocus is twice as fast with the new VXD motor. And there's new user customization functions that can be applied through Tamron's software utility tool. So if you're searching for a lens that offers unparalleled performance and impeccable image quality, consider the Tamron 28-75mm f2.8 G2 lens. You can head to Tamron's website in the episode description to read up more on the specs and visit your nearest online or physical photography retail store to purchase. Welcome back to another episode of the Photography Mindset Podcast. I'm your co-host, Seth Macy. And I'm your co-host, Aaron Manis. And if you're liking these episodes, please feel free, a cost-free, effective way to uh, help us out with the show is to leave a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It means the world to us, helps us out tremendously. Today we had on Brianna Bradley and we had a pretty interesting story. What were some, what were some of your takeaways? What should people listen out for? I just love the metaphors uh, of life, not to be cheesy right off the bat, but they're they're really, I mean, this was chock full of life metaphors uh, based on her journey and her, her perseverance through many uh, things that life throw at you. She hiked the Continental Divide Trail, also known as the CDT, which is over 5,000 kilometers long. That's 3,100 miles. Took her, I think she said in this episode, five and a half months, which is just insane. There were tears, there was blood, there was sweat, all of that fun stuff, but she did it. And I think our conversation today focuses on how we can use lessons from doing really, really hard things to um, see that our breaking point is a lot higher than we think it is. And when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we have the tools to keep moving forward and to, um, you know, not sink and crater and, and, find a way to make it happen. So at the end, we got to talk about surf photography, which was cool. Um, definitely sounds like a fun genre of photography. We're, we're complete noobs at it. I think I use that exact terminology, yeah. but seems like a fun sport. Seems like there's definitely an art to it more than just being athletic. But I think this was a really good episode and I had so many questions and I hope, uh, I hope everyone listening enjoys it. So let's get into it. You hike the Continental Divide Trail, right? The CDT which is 5,000 kilometers total. Am I hearing that right? Correct? Or saying that yeah, correctly? It's like, it is 3,100 miles, but mm-hmm. you can take a lot of alternates, which I did. So I didn't complete the full 3,100 miles. Um, but that's like the traditional official line, CDT line. Okay, so you didn't do the full 3,100 miles. You did like 3,000. So you're off the show. Um, it's not as cool. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have to be super honest about it, you know? No, hey, you. honesty is one of the cornerstones of the show. But we're going to talk a lot about that today because that is a super damn hard thing to do. And I'm sure it made you want to quit 
millions of times. And so before we even get rolling into the mountain of questions I have that are definitely going to lead down some interesting roads of conversation, why did you decide to leave normal life, take the better part of what, half a year? Yeah. Yeah. Half a year. Is that about right? Five and a half months. Five and a half months to hike the Continental Divide Trail. Are you crazy? Should someone check your brain? <laughs> someone should definitely check my brain. <laughs> okay, so that's that's clear. Well, tell us about what the trail is for people who are listening, how long it is. We will talk about photography. Don't worry, it's the Photographer Minds It podcast. But this, is, uh, this I'm sure, is going to be a very interesting story. Um, tell us how long it is. Anything else you think people should know about this trail before we get into the specifics of your journey? And feel free to introduce yourself, what you do with your photography when you're in, quote, normal life. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so um, I'm Brianna. I'm a photographer based um, on Vancouver Island in a little town called Tofino. And I focus a lot on surf photography. Mm-hmm. And this year, starting... April 2023, I decided to try my first through hike along the Continental Divide Trail. Um, it is one of the three long tra- like longer through hikes in North America. It starts on the border of Mexico and New Mexico, and you hike through New Mexico, Colorado, um, Wyoming, a little bit of Mon- or Idaho, Montana, up to the Alberta-Montana border. Wow. Um and that's what I have to say about that. Okay. So had you had any prior experience before you decided to do this as a um, hiker? No, not at all, which is... Zero, right? Or very uh, yeah. little? The longest hike I'd ever done before that was five days. Like okay. Five day hike. So drastically shorter than five months. Yes. <laughs> um, I hike a lot, but mostly a lot shorter, like a couple days here and there. Right. Okay. So before we really get into the meat and potatoes, why? What someday you're sitting there, standing there possibly and say, I'm going to do this thing that I'm sure at the time seemed insurmountable, right? Yep. Without getting too philosophical right off the bat, why? Why did you decide that it was, you know, worth putting regular life on holds? I, mean, I don't know what the costs of that are, relationships, money, et cetera. Um, so, so how did this idea come to fruition? Um, to make a really long story short, I had always wanted to do a through hike. I learned about it, I mean, from the movie Wild. And then um, when I worked at a hostel when I was 20 in Hawaii, a guy came through and was like, my sister just did the Appalachian Trail. And I was like, what is that? And I, as soon as I learned about the Appalachian Trail, I was like, I want to walk for months and months and months. That sounds incredible. Um, but like most things in life, it's so easy to make excuses for the things you really want when they make zero sense. Um, and then April 2022, I had an accident while I was taking photos in the water that really uh, took the most part of the year to come back from. And it wasn't even that long into my recovery where I was like, holy smokes, it could all be over so quickly. And I just like 
want to celebrate that life is so awesome and we should be doing the things we want to be doing. So uh, <laughs> it's like recovering from a brain injury, which sounds like this doesn't make sense <laughs> because <laughs> I like announced to my parents like two or three months into my brain injury recovery that I was going on a six month hike and they were like, but everyone in my life had known that I've always wanted to do a through hike. It was just like the excuse that I could be like, this is it. This is it's now or never. And I had no money saved. Like it was really not an ideal time for me to do it. But um, I feel like it's one of those things that I could have just kept putting on the back burner being like one day, one day. Do you f do you feel like you were somebody who fell victim to that? tomorrow you know what's the quote someday isn't a day of the week um like I put things that I want to do on holds sort of prior to this yeah um yes and no I've always been someone who's like kind of moved quickly like I want to do something and I make it happen mm -hmm. um but I guess with like bigger things that take a lot of time it's hard to rationalize it because it's a lot of money. It's putting my career that I've worked so hard towards on hold. Um, right. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so it's hard to right. make. I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I think maybe I'm falling victim to this is that we want to, we have, as humans, there has to be like a logical reason for doing something. You know, why? There must be a significant or profound reason that Brianna is going to do this hike. Going to exactly. hike 5,000 kilometers. Um, and it, it maybe people wrongfully assume, oh, she's trying to find herself. Maybe you were, maybe you're not. Maybe multiple people thought that and you're tired of hearing that. Um, <laughs> as would be easy to assume when anyone does anything that's extremely difficult. So do you believe maybe in doing things that are especially hard? without a purpose, if that makes sense. Like you don't need a purpose to do grandiose things, difficult things. Um, and, you know, on that topic, if you feel like um, you do need a purpose, I don't know, you'll answer the question, but do you think we can get lost if we're doing things without a purpose? Do you think we can get lost if we're doing... I mean, I think that you'll always find purpose in things that you want to be doing. Um, right. I've, I guess there's, per. I don't know, when I think about, it, from an outsider's perspective, when I was like, I'm going to hike the CDT and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And there is really no purpose behind it, except that it's something I've always wanted to do. Always wanted to test how my body, how my mind how I could handle it emotionally. Like I want to see how far I could push myself in a circumstance like that. And so from the outsider's perspective, it doesn't have purpose. Even for me going on it, I was like, I don't really know why I'm doing this except that it interests me. But mm -hmm. once you, once I started it, there was so much purpose in every day that I was on trail. Um, in a larger sense and in a smaller sense, like each day had purpose. And then like the whole point of the trail, like why I, kind of persevered and wanted to finish it there felt like there was a lot of purpose in that and I think if there wasn't I would have quit there was so many people quitting I feel like if I hadn't found purpose in this like 
crazy thing I was doing, I would have been like, I can no longer go on. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was reading one of your captions and that leads into the question. I think you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but you were having a conversation with somebody along the trail who said, Hey, if you're crying every day and your feet hurt and they're all messed up and you're like not enjoying a lot of this at times, why don't you just stop? <laughs> yeah. So that's where we should probably check my head. <laughs> or you're um, onto something. I mean, what do you think about that whole principle of continuing on when things are not necessarily fun? And, and is that worthwhile for everyone to kind of experience that in some way? I think that it, it's all relative to the person and what is going on. I had really bad plantar fasciitis. So every step I took was like physically so painful. And I was taking like 60,000 steps a day. Um, <sighs> um, it, have you guys had plantar fasciitis? No, no. Yeah, no nor have I, I walked 60,000 steps a day. <laughs> I think yeah. it's it something that like old people have. Listen, I'm not a doctor. However, <laughs> it might be related to your 60,000 steps a day. Maybe. But um, basically, it's like the tendons are like stretching on the bottom of your feet. So it literally feels like you're being stabbed every step. So like that was so tolling on my head. I had been hiking through Colorado by myself. It was so exhausting. I was having like a lot of health issues through Colorado because I was at high elevation and my heart was just like, we're not a fan of this. Um, (laughs) Everything was so challenging. But at that point, I was like, I have put so much like actual blood, sweat and like tears into this. I'm not going to get another opportunity to do this trail anytime soon unless I really just want to like quit my life forever. Um, And I was just like, I don't think I've hit a breaking point. So despite the fact that I was crying every day, I was in physical pain every day. I was so alone. I was so shocked that like, and I think I found like salvation and being like, wow, I thought my breaking point was so long ago. Let's see how much further I can push it. And Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, that was like a really good like mental game that I didn't know existed. I thought I was just a quitter. I thought I would have quit because so many people on trail quit or like flip to so that they avoided the snow and I was just like, I think at that point I was like, I will not be defeated. And I was probably just quite, uh, being quite stubborn, but I really do believe like listen to your body and where you're at. (laughs) Right. That's the legal disclaimer. Yeah. Yeah. I had that. I had that in my notes that, uh, I read that caption as well, that you realized your breaking point was a lot higher than you previously thought. I think you wrote that after you had hiked the state of Colorado. Do you think most people will never find that limit and or that ceiling? And what kind of doors do you think that opens up when you when you realize your breaking point is way higher than you thought it would be? It's really interesting, like leaving the trail. A lot of people have asked me like how I felt like I was different after. I mm-hmm. actually got asked two days before I finished the trail. Someone was like, How do you feel different? And I was like, I I am the same version that like started in New Mexico, but now in retrospect, like being off trail for a few months and like have had pushing my, have had pushed myself so much like harder than I had before. Um, 
I realized that like in everyday life, I can actually handle so much more than I thought. Like right. whether just doing a Pilates video where I'm like, I'm tired, I want to give up. I'm like, mm-hmm. girl, you know you can get through this. So or, you eliminate a lot of excuses is what you're saying that yeah, we make. Yeah, is bad and good because I've always had a problem with people making excuses and now I'm like, guys, we really cannot make excuses. Right, so then what's your opinion on quitting? Uh, my opinion on quitting is that I, that it's not a like blanket. I don't, I can't have an opinion on it because we don't ever know what anybody else is going through. Um, my breaking point could have been so much like different than someone else's because maybe they had less capacity due to other circumstances in their life, you know, like. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of empathy for people that weren't able to finish the trail. And um, I hope in if I had come down to having to get off trail, I would have been like, it's okay. Right. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because because people who quit and people who accomplish things both had the same goal. Yeah. Right. I think we can tend to forget that. And some people's limits are higher than others, like you've said. I think the point then is fulfilling your own potential and that's why it's so important to not look left and right at what other people are doing in comparison right totally. Aaron, say comparison is the thief of joy but i think what you're alluding to is just because we have all we all have different pain tolerances doesn't mean we shouldn't discover our own full potential or where our own limits are yeah and like that being said there was still quite a few so this year was from my understanding, I'd never through hiked before, but this year on the CDT was kind of hard because there had been 200% of the annual snowfall in Colorado. So it made things really challenging. Like, Mm -hmm. and that's why so many people got off trail in Colorado or flipped up to Canada. And I was really struggling because I am not a mountain girl, like whatsoever. And all of a sudden I had this like ice axe and like micro spikes. And I was like doing these snowy traverses. And I was like, no way. So I actually took a lot of, um, I took a lot of alternatives to avoid the snow. I was also by myself um, Mm. and I, the snow was unavoidable, but I took some alternatives that kept a continuous footpath, but that some people would have been like, well, that's not the real CDT, but the majority of people on trail had to take them just due to the circumstances this year. So um, one of them is through the San Juans. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that mountain range in Colorado. Mm-hmm. There's one that kind of cuts off through the San Juans and you go through a town called Creed and everybody in all the comments is like, quitters go to Creed. Well, like 95% of the hikers this year went through Creed. Um, so I guess quitting is all... <laughs> In, perspective. in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, exactly. Because I finished the trail, but I didn't do the San Juans. So that's fine. We'll put it in the notes. Yeah, perfect. asterisk the, uh, the description. Yes. Yeah, little asterisk. <laughs> um, our guest Brianna, who almost completed. I mean, I kept a continuous footpath for the most. No. Part. So it's like, te- yeah, it's all through hiking is like technical definitions like some people are like you cannot break your continuous footpath and some people like the cdt is not a complete trail so you sometimes like 
for me. What's my breaking your foot path mean for the? For it the means lame like literally, there? like some of the trail is along highways, and if mm-hmm. the highway didn't have, um, I had a few circumstances where the I felt like my life was not worth missing two miles of the trail, four miles of the trail, and I would hitch the highway sections because something like people were driving erratically and there was no shoulder to walk on. Um, but that means I broke my continuous footpath and missed like four miles. Gotcha. gotcha. That makes sense. So, so to yeah. some people, they're really strict on that. But on the CDT, there's so much highway walking and there was just like so many obstacles. Or if a big thing is like forest fires, if you have to get off trail due to a forest fire, that's breaking your continuous footpath. Hmm. Well, we're glad you didn't run into a forest fire. Yeah. seems a little strict. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. People take it like very strictly. And then some people are just like hitching the whole road sections, you know, I like Mm -hmm. walked like most of them, but yeah, there was a few circumstances where I was like, you know, my life, I like my life a lot. Yeah. Hitching meaning like hitch a ride? Yeah. That's what you're saying? Yeah. People still do that. It's safe. Now you're on your own, like you're on your own, your own. Or are there groups of people around you? Are you are you resting down your head at night with no one around in the middle of the wilderness? So it was kind of interesting. Um, through New Mexico, through the first state, there was tons of people around. Not tons, but there was like a group, like groups of people around that were all kind of like leapfrogging over top of each other, especially towards the end of the state because no one knew what to do because there was still so much snow in Colorado. I essentially was always hiking alone um, and sometimes I would camp near people and sometimes I'd be camping completely alone. But once we hit Colorado, because everybody scattered once we got to Colorado, like some people flipped up to Canada, so many people quit. I hiked the majority of that state like completely alone. Like I would see, I think I saw friends like a handful of nights and then like there would be multiple days in a row I wouldn't have seen I'd see more moose than people like I wouldn't have seen a single (laughs) soul um and then once I got to the end of Colorado I actually met up with someone I'd met in New Mexico and we hiked the remainder of the trail together awesome yeah so I feel like I did the first half alone are you bringing a camera or is it just bare minimum weight so Photography uh, mindset podcast. <laughs> I started with a DSLR camera clipped to my pack, um, mm-hmm. which is like really everyone was like, "What is this girl doing? She's never through hiked before." Rookie, <laughs> rookie move. It's not I was like, "Trust me, guys. Like, I know what I'm doing." Anyway, so I hiked through New Mexico with my DSLR strapped to my front. And then, like, I actually had an older DSLR, too, because I was like, I know myself, this is going to just get whipped through the sand. Like, I'm not going to take care of my camera gear. I shouldn't say that on a podcast, but (laughs) I got trained in journalism. And if you know anything about photojournalists, everyone just whips their camera gear around. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I had my camera through New Mexico. And then towards the end of New Mexico, the beginning of Colorado, we started to hit snow and my feet were so bad like when I say my feet were so bad when I woke up in the middle of the night I couldn't stand up I'd like crawl to like go pee it was so Mm. brutal so getting any weight off my back was like kind of essential 
And it kind of came down to like, I carry my camera or I jeopardize the whole trail. And I have traveled a lot through my life. And I, I realized that sometimes you have to experience life as a human. And sometimes you get to experience life as a photographer. And it was so frustrating having to, I didn't give up my camera. I just kept like, um, bouncing it up the trail, like along Mm. through Colorado being like, soon my feet will be better and I will get my camera again. And then eventually at the end of Colorado or yeah, towards the end of Colorado, I sent it home for good. When you're on a a journey or mission like this, but you're also a photographer back home shooting like more typical genres, family, wedding, you just mentioned you were trained in photojournalism, which is pretty cool. So how does your approach to what you're shooting change to a more journalistic style? What does that look like? What does that require in terms of what you're actually shooting, format, et cetera. Like when I was on trail, how I was shooting or just... Yeah, like you probably took a much more journalistic approach, whereas you don't do that when you're shooting a wedding or other genres, right? Well, I really didn't have like... I was like, I'm pretty sure the slowest hiker on the CDT this year. I was like waking up before everybody else and hiking later. So photography, even though I had my camera strapped to me, I didn't put too much effort into like making a lot of time to get a lot of photos. If I saw something while I was walking, I'd click it and keep going. I did have some really cool experiences um, with my camera that were just so special to me. One of them was I was in a hot springs in the Gila, New Mexico, like the Gila River. And there was a woman in there and she was like, talking to me and another hiker and she's like I'm getting married tomorrow and I was like oh and she I was like I shoot weddings at home she's like we don't have a photographer so I like shot her wedding in my hiking gear and like was like I'll shoot your wedding for free but you're gonna have to wait six months to get the photos because I'm gonna send the SD card home and I'll edit them when I get home so I got to be a part of this like really like grassroots wedding and like they welcomed me with open arms and I just like was in my straight up through hiking kit, oh, which is amazing. so funny. And then I just put my bag on my back and hiked out and like hiked 15 miles that day. Um, and then Good another marriage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> another really cool thing that happened was um, I had my camera at this point. This was like right before I sent it home for good. And I was in a through town and we went to the rodeo and there was the guy who picked us up hitching in a town happened to be a bull rider and he was on his way to the rodeo and he got to the rodeo and me and my friend were like slamming hot dogs. Just like I was covered in dirt. I don't even know how long it had been since I showered. I was such a mess because I was just a mess through Colorado. And um, I could see this guy getting ready for his, to like do his bull riding thing. And I was like, I want to be on that side of the ring. Like I want to be shooting those guys. And so I like walked around and like waved him down, like through all the gates of the cows and was like, Hey, like, can I just jump the gate and come and do some BTS before you jump on the bull? And I got to, I was like climbing over all of these, like, um, like the bull gates and like hung out with the bull riders for a while and got all these like kind of documentary style behind the scene photos of like a rodeo in Northern Colorado. And it was just like really cool to Mm -hmm. get to like experience things like that with, while I had my camera on trail, Mm -hmm. I was, so it was 
bummer that I had to send it home, but it was really special moments for me, for sure. It's very cool. I have a question. Um, now, deciding to go on a, a, a through trail or a super long hike or change jobs or get out of a relationship, like all those hard decisions in life, there's like this window. And I'm just curious what the what the window was to make that leap in terms of finances or a job break or the ability to say, I'm going to leave for six months and then pick back up. I mean, you're not on the trail right now. You got nice earrings on and a turtleneck yeah, kitty. So you've come <laughs> back to something. You've survived. Where, yeah. What What was that window that like that that key moment that was like I'm actually going to do this? Um. So I decided on like sorry if I don't answer this properly, just tell me and we can try again. But okay. um, I decided to do it on my birthday, the end of June in 2022, and I, I was on trail two days after my like accident anniversary in April, 2023. So June to April. Um, And that gave me time to like kind of close my books for the next season, um, like sublet my house and kind of get prepared for it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers what you were asking. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, I guess digging maybe deeper, you had the space, you felt, did you feel financially? I mean, no. you said earlier you did not have savings. No, but, no, no. I did it on a line of credit. I was like, and yeah. I'm not scared to tell people that because I like, that's like how much I was like, I need to do this now. Like it cannot wait. So it was more the, like the experience dividends and the uh, memory dividends and like those sorts of things that you were going to gain at this time in your life, knowing it's now or never in a sense. Um, Yeah. I can do it now. I think that it, I just like, I think when you get smoked in the head, it's like such a wake up call (laughs) because there's no other, like, it's really just like unavoidable. And I just really felt like, I had to do the things I wanted to do. And that was at the top of my list. Yeah. They say sometimes the universe will hit you with a two by four, but I didn't know they meant a 10 foot long board. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Are you comfortable telling what happened to you? Oh, totally. Um, So I was at a longboarding festival in um, Mexico with a lot of incredible professional longboarders such a good vibe I'd been a couple years before and how I'm going to explain how surf photography works because I think sometimes it's a little bit confusing for people um when I'm shooting in the water I actually just have fins on I don't have a surfboard I'm just swimming out with the surfers and what happened on this particular day the surf was really busy um and when a when a surfer is on a wave, I'm sitting in the steepest part of the steepest section of the wave to try to get the most technical moves. And I will wait till the surfer gets close enough. And then I swim under the wave, come up for air, and then I can spot when the next surfer is coming. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. So I like to make it clear because confusing. And so I swam under a wave, but there was a double up wave. So there was a surfer on top of another wave, which I have never experienced in the like 
seven or eight years that I've been shooting in the water. And he was in the very fast section of the wave and he didn't have enough time to stop before he saw me and I didn't even have my eyes open. So I essentially stopped like a, I think his board was like close to 10 feet long, long board going full speed in its tracks with my face. Um, I was super lucky. Like there's not a reason that my brain or my neck should, like my neck should have fully snapped. And he said that he was the person that he was like, I'm shocked I didn't snap your neck. Um, but the injury, like any concussion can be so complicated and hard to Mm -hmm. come from. And I ended up having, um, like a small brain bleed and it was, it was a pretty significant whack to the head that took a while to come back from. Do you think you would have done this hike if you hadn't had such a traumatic brain injury? Um, I, I mean, who knows what else could have brought me to that point of really wanting. It had been something I'd wanted to do, been wanting to do for so long. Um, so maybe eventually, but. So I guess maybe it was a reminder of the fragility of life and maybe an Mm. accelerant to go do that. Is that fair to say? That's exactly what happened was like, I go, I was staying at a host or like an Airbnb in Mexico by myself, got in my wetsuit like I do all the time and was like, I'm just going to get in the water and get a couple photos and swam under a wave like I have a hundred thousand times and it could have just been all over. Like mm-hmm. where it hit me was so, I was so lucky it hit like my ocular bone. So a couple, like not even a centimeter to either side I could have either lost my eye or it could have hit my temple I just feel like it was just such a wake-up call for me to be like where are my priorities at in life like what are the things that are important to me yes my career is important to me yes making money is important but like what is the purpose of life if we're not pushing ourselves and seeing what we're capable of and also like giving ourselves that opportunity to see those things. Um, So yeah, I think that it really, really put things in perspective for me. I always kind of say that I got hit like in the right spot because it really (laughs) brightened my life. Right. No, that makes total sense. Aaron, do you have any more questions before I keep rifling off mine? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I want to get back to maybe some thoughts you had during um, the not so fun parts of the, of the grueling through hike. Did you ever have any moments where you're thinking this is awesome and it's a once in a lifetime experience, but am I, am I wasting time? Like, is this a productive use of my time? Did that thought ever cross your head? I'm not suggesting it was, but I I know from myself sometimes, and this is you know a problem I have that I'm getting better at. Sometimes when I'm just doing things for pure enjoyment that don't necessarily have a productivity factor, I have a voice that enters my head that says, "What you're doing right now is not going to get you ahead. It's not gonna. It's not productive. It's not. You should really reconsider how much fun time you're having." 
Um, did, did this thought ever cross your mind or am I alone in this? You are not alone in that at all. Okay. I have suffered from that for a very long time, especially because I got into surf photography because I love surfing. And now every time I surf, I'm like, oh, I should be shooting. Like the waves are great. The light is great. Right. Like I suffer from that on a daily basis. Right. Okay. Uh, but when it came to the trail, there's been... I would say handful of significant moments in my life where I have been so certain as to what I'm supposed to be doing and where I'm supposed to be. One of them is like buying a water housing to start shooting surfing. One was buying a one-way ticket to Hawaii to learn how to surf. One was doing the CDT. So the whole time I was on the CDT, there was no doubt in my mind that I was where I was supposed to be because I like fully like had so much knowing that that was that was that and I knew that as soon as I got home that I would be productive again I have such a right like that's my personality so um like trusting oh my god this sounds so lame but like trusting the process like being like no it's not lame I'm here I'm doing this thing for me right now and then moving forward I will be back doing my career soon enough. Right. So for someone maybe listening, and this is, you're just offering up your opinion here. I'll preface it with that. So you don't feel like you need to have the answer. Someone who maybe routinely has the thought of, am I where I'm supposed to be? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You said undoubtedly you knew in those examples you gave. Are you able to kind of pinpoint or describe how you knew? I know that's a difficult thing to do, but um, I encourage you to try. <laughs> I'm going to sound like a psychopath trying okay. to explain this. Make a good sound bite. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I think that like this unknowing feeling is something that has come with a lot of therapy. <laughs> like okay. a lot of... um just like dropping into like who you are and who you want to be. And when I have this feeling, it's like usually from a really grounded place um, that I've given myself space to know that. Like, I mean, mostly I think of booking a one-way ticket to Hawaii in the middle of the night on the floor of my Montreal apartment when I was 19. Probably wasn't super grounded then, but like I've had that moment like, in the water a lot of the time being like, okay, this is where I am supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, and I think that that just comes with like a lot of super honest conversations with yourself and like taking the time to give yourself space in evaluating what is important to you um, and trying to cancel out the noise around you. That's being like, you should be working towards your career. You should be doing this. You should be like, that stuff is all very What important. are some of the shoulds that creep into your head that you would maybe consider noise? Oh, mine's like constantly like you should be moving further in your career. You should be making like more money so you can buy new gear so you can move further in your career. Like right. it's always like you should be moving forward to show like to be more successful. And I think that that was like triumphantly like what was so important about this trail was that 
it was something that I was doing for me as a human being and not as a photographer, not as a young adult trying to like succeed at a career. It was literally something that made zero sense to anybody else except for fulfilling like a desire and a dream that was only for me that I would have forever. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Did you have people who disagreed with this decision, thought it was irresponsible, or did you have for the most mostly support? Um, Answer well, honestly. No, mostly support. <laughs> I have like the most incredible family. I have traveled a lot and done some dumb shit. <laughs> so <laughs> they're used to it by now. Yeah, exactly. They were kind of used to it. I've like trained yeah. them well, but I swear to God, when I told my dad, because I was still like recovering really I think I I had to live with my parents for a while when I had hit my head and I think I was out of their place by this point but I I was like guys just want to let you know I will be hiking for six months next year and I honest to god thought my dad's head was going to go through the roof of the car like I was like oh my goodness and then he was he got over it was like the most supportive and most excited of anybody um I was originally supposed to do it the PCT which is um, a little bit more friendly for beginner through hikers. When you Google the CDT, it's very well known. If you Google CDT, it's like, don't do it as your first through hike. Don't do it like you have to have special like navigation skills, all these things that I did not listen to. And um, so my brother, when he found out, he definitely called me from Thailand and is like, has anybody like questioned you about this? <laughs> like, Is anybody like concerned because like you can do it but uh like are we all just checking in (laughs) (laughs) um but no for the most part I think that the people that know me and that love me know that um I will always be moving forward in a positive way and so they just had to trust that I was doing the right thing and I'm so grateful for that right Tell us about uh, the ugliest moment on that oh, experience and um, just what it was like in the moment and um, afterwards. So I'm afraid of heights, which is hilarious because that is I hilarious for divide the, trail. Yeah. Um, and I had just like, like we talked about before, Colorado just like destroyed me in every way possible like physically I was done mentally I was done like emotionally there was just like I had really nothing left in me like I was just making it happen and I don't know how and I was doing an alternate and the night before I thought that it was only not a big climb and I just like didn't feel like walking that day and I ended up having to like hike I think it was like 7,000 feet of elevation gain And I'd had a couple be like, this is like the gnarliest hiking we've ever done. So good luck out there. And I was doing these like essentially these like game trail traverses with they were like less than 12 like inches wide the trail with like thousands, not thousands, like hundreds of feet of drop on one side. And there was nobody around. I hadn't seen anyone all day. And I was just like, couldn't I just. I was like crying all night trying to get across these traverses and got myself through them. And then I got to like a ridge and there was a cornice and I couldn't find my way over the cornice. So I had to like sleep on this ridge and I was just like not doing well. 
things were not great. I was not thriving. And so the next morning I wake up and I do some more game trail traverses. And then I have to walk over this like crazy Colorado Ridge that had no path. I was just like walking up grass down this ridge. And I was like, okay, I've done it. It's over. Like, I'm going to meet back up with the normal trail and this alternate is done. And like, we are moving forward. So I get up to the top and I, I go to get back on the main trail. And there's an intersection and it's so windy. And I look at the trail and it's just this tiny little traverse, like little trail, but this actually the traverse was quite long. And there was just like, actually thousands of feet drop on one side and I hadn't seen anyone in over 20 like I hadn't seen another human being in over 24 hours and I had already like all my like perseverance juice was like it was gone the reserves were gone and I sat at this four-way stop on the trail before this traverse for like hours like texting everybody being like I can't do it I'm stuck here like I can't go back because where I came from was already hard And I can't go down the red line because I know that it's got lots of snow and I don't want to deal with that. And I was like, the only way is forward. And I physically cannot do it. And I just sat there and had the biggest panic attack I have had in my whole entire life, knowing that there was literally nobody else around to help me. (laughs) And I had nowhere to go. I knew that one friend was like a day and a half behind me. And like in my crazy thoughts, I was like, I'll just set up my tent and I'll wait for him. Like <laughs> I'll wait for someone to come and help me. And I, I tried to do the traverse three times. And on the third time, the wind was so strong that it knocked me over onto the ground, which like for someone who's terrified of heights with like a thousand dollars, a drop on one side, I was like, um, and eventually my friend like sent me this really beautiful song and she's like, just blast this and you just are, you're just going to have to do it. Like there's just no other option here. And instead of taking the traverse that was like the trail that was into the um, mountain, I actually went right up and over the ridge. Cause I was like, if I fall over, there's a little more space if the wind is going to knock me off the path. But I think like the biggest thing for me there was that I just the whole time I was like, get over it, Brianna. Like everyone else ahead of you has done this traverse. Like, why are you stuck here? This is so silly. Like you're in over your head. Um, And I just, yeah, really, really beat myself up over it because I was like physically unable, emotionally unable. And then also knowing that like everyone else was able and it was just my mind stopping me. Um, and I did make it yeah. over, obviously, because I had mm-hmm. to. But the whole time I just was like screaming into the wind. I was like hunched over like the hunchback of Notre Dame <laughs> like, with my eyes yeah. closed. Like, I wish so badly someone could have recorded me because I looked like such a psychopath. I was like, you've got this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a, what a metaphor for rock bottom. Yeah, it was pun not intended, but uh, you couldn't go left. You couldn't go right. You couldn't go back. You were, you were grounded. Like the only way out was to fight through it forward. Yeah, And I think that's where people make the most strides sometimes in life. Sometimes you need that like catastrophic life event to propel you forward. Like the time is now for me to figure it out. 
you know? Yeah. And I mean, that was actualized and, you know, God forbid there is no more traumatic moments in your life, but if they do come and you feel that rock bottom sort of emotional, just done exhaustion, like you have that tool in your toolbox to be like, Oh, I was on a ridge with tons of wind fearing for my life. And I, I went forward, you know? Yeah. Hopefully nothing like that. I don't have to make any major decisions at 13,000 feet ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Not really my vibe, but yeah. Yeah. Awful. I mean, awful. this is the thing about the CDT and about through hiking is like the whole time. All I could ever think about was the majority of the population. The majority of the people I knew are no would have been so much better and more equipped and mentally more stable at doing it than I was. And then yet there I was like at Mm -hmm. 13,000 feet having the most dramatic like anxiety attack on the side of the mountain. Um, And the whole time I just kept being like, why am I the one doing this right now? But an actual, like an actual anxiety panic attack for your your life being the consequence, right? And I'm sure, I mean... We can freak out over a math test and have the same response as if we were uh, looking at a grizzly bear. Yeah. So potentially, if you feel those that cortisol spike and the the stress spike in the future for quote unquote little things, you know, not life changers, you might be able to, like, hey, this is the same response I had on the top or the edge of a cliff. Maybe I need to take a deep breath because right now I'm not on a cliff. Right now I'm not yeah. in danger of losing my life, and I can move forward. Right. I think it's interesting that we we take like public speaking and we go to, you know, everyone's gonna laugh at me. I'm gonna lose my job. uh, Then I'm not gonna be able to afford anything. And then I'll die. Like we we get to that the worst case scenario very quickly versus being one step away. Like if I slip, I die. Yeah. And there's nobody around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nobody around. But you're dead. So it wouldn't matter anyway. Exactly. You'd be fine. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just better. think it's interesting. And you've set up just so many uh, frameworks for healthy mindset and mental perseverance in our reasonably comfortable lives. You know, and it, it just makes it that much easier to get through things. If you can get through some real things in life, it just gives you like that. Oh, I've, I've been here before. This sucks, but I can uh, I can get through it. 100%. Yeah. What's helpful when... Something seems so far away. In your case, it was a measurable, known, super far distance to a finish line. Often it's not that obvious, but we know something is super, super far away. The outcome we want or the reward, et cetera. What helps when you seem overwhelmed with the distance or the duration of a project, et cetera? Um, so I think like a, I kind of had an advantage in my own personal life that I had just overcome this injury that really like I'm not sure if either of you have had a significant concussion or brain injury before but um it's a wild trip like it's a wild time and um my mentality through the recovery of that was like so significant and moving forward like as um a photographer for some reason a lot of people like to tell me about all these people that were photographers and then got hit in the head and then they couldn't be photographers. Took me three months, I think, to get back on my laptop, to be able to open my laptop and look at a screen. 
So there was so much uncertainty and a lot of um, my recovery, even for months after that, was just being like positive about the situation and being like having to convince myself that nothing is forever and nothing will last. And I think that that like mental muscle that I was so significantly reliant on throughout um, my recovery from my head injury prepared me for a through hike because even in like the hardest, like through Colorado, every day was hard. And I think I was hiking six weeks through Colorado. I was like, it's going to get better. Like show me how much better it can get. And as soon as I hit Wyoming, the experience was incredible, but it was like that, um, that like, I don't know, mentality that I had to like rely on with my recovery that really, really, really helped me. Um, right. Right. In your opinion, you know, you said you were the slow, probably the slowest hiker on the trail, uh, stumbling at times is getting to the finish line in ugly or ungraceful fashion. Just as noble as getting to the finish line with grace and near perfection in your opinion. Um, I think that I'm more proud of myself that I finished it in like an un like manicured fashion <laughs> like, right. that I was just like flailing the whole time. I was even telling my friend this morning, I was like the first week I was on trail, I just like lost everything. Like people were posting on all the forms being like, I found a lens cap. I found some trail like things like uh, hiking poles. And I just was so embarrassed because I was like, the only solo female that had never hiked through like through hiked before that I had met on trail so far. And I was like, I can't tell them that like, that's all my stuff because that's so embarrassing. But like, that's the part of me that I think back when I realize I did finish the trail that I'm like, dang, that girl did it. Like that mm -hmm. girl that was like such a shit show that the majority of yeah. the trail was able to like, get through and maybe I didn't do any 30 days or like 40 days, like 30 miles in a day or four, which is like a big term on in through mm -hmm. hiking, but I was consistent and I did it. With one shoe. Pardon? <laughs> With one shoe. She lost one shoe and she made it the whole way. <laughs> no, it's, it's impressive to look back and be able to just, um, I don't know, be proud of, Seth, to answer your question, I think, yes, because you're still, if you join a marathon. I was you, just going to use that example. Yeah. You come in last place, the pace cars behind you or the the roundup car, whatever that's called. Yeah. Um, like pushing you ahead and you finished, you're still in the 1% of the less. I mean, 0. 0.000 something percent of the day that went 26 miles on their feet, walked, mm -hmm. ran lost whatever so um in that case yes it is absolutely something to be proud of yeah yeah i'm not saying it's not something to be proud of i think there mm -hmm. you can be proud of yeah like do, being the last in a marathon you can be proud that you finished and you saw it through especially when it was likely very difficult and then on the other end of the spectrum if you finish with such grace you can be proud in your preparation or your mm -hmm. uh you know other things not saying that you're not prepared if you finish last or any of those things. But I think there's uh yeah, just to answer my own question, there's, I think it's just different, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I think next time I would know what to expect and maybe it would be a little bit more graceful, but also like right. if you knew me in real life, you'd be like, <laughs> I somehow make it through every day, but like, it's just, there's always a moment. Maybe that yeah, speaks well, towards positive attitude and the right. ability to grind versus the person that's, you know, most prepped or prepared. Like maybe it takes you longer, but you just have this positive, like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to make it work. Um, yeah. So I maybe had, it's not, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I had fallen behind very early on on trail because of my feet. And then in Colorado, I ended up in the hospital for a little while. Um, so I really slowed down and then I just like couldn't keep up with people. I like remember meeting up with someone and they're like, I heard about you. You're the girl that wakes up before everyone else hikes later just to make the right amount of miles. Um, but then once I hit Wyoming and I started hiking with a friend, we had so much fun every day hiking, like even when it was miserable, even when it had been raining for like weeks, even when we were like so scared of grizzly bears. We had so much fun that like the fact that we ended later than the majority of the hikers, we were just like so grateful that we had a good time because so many people you met on trail were like, we're done. We're no longer having fun. Like we do not want to be here. And we were just like giggling every day, laughing. <laughs> hmm. And so I feel like it was not graceful, but it was still fun. And I think that that was like such a gift. There was this part of Man's Search for Meaning with Viktor Frankl, who's talking about being in concentration camps and his family's being murdered. His friends are being murdered. He's alone. And there's this exquisite uh, monologue just about they can take everything from me. Like I can have all the comforts taken from me, family, friends, but they can't affect what I decide to think about or what I dream, I think was the language he used. They can't affect my dreams. So he was still under the... I got it right here. Right there. Just pull it off the shelf. There it is. I want to read that. Um, I'm writing that down. Yeah. It's about yeah. existentialism and psychology uh, and his experience uh, in the Holocaust. But just that, that that's always stuck with me of like, wow. So that, that might be, you know, arguably the worst possible situation you can be in as a human. And to be able to have the power, I guess is a good word to stay in a positive mindset and understand that your thoughts are, no one can take your thoughts there. That's you, you can control that till the end, um, is a really powerful thing. And, and he survived and, you survived and giggling and having a good time, you know, in the dirt. And I think that probably goes hand in hand. That's awesome. Well, we've talked about the CDT a ton. I, we could do a whole episode on surf photography yeah. too. Can we talk about that maybe to end the show? Sure. What we've do never, you? We've, I don't know. We've never had a surf photographer on the show. Like <laughs> I, oh, I've shoot. never, I've, I've never shot in the water. I don't know what that entails. Uh, Her explaining we, it was like, it entails a lot the up and yeah. down the breathing the swimming the yeah like is there anything the timing just explaining it to two total new noobs <laughs> it's really fun it's like trying to make art in chaos because mm -hmm. you're working against the elements um in a very like 
sometimes unforgiving way, like you're just getting smoked by waves and trying to line up with a surfer. So it's like one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Um, when you do get the shot, you're like, dang, like I was not defeated by the current. I was not defeated by the waves. I just lined up with the surfer. The light is perfect. Somehow there's no water on my port and it's clear and it's just like, it can be the most frustrating form of photography and then the most rewarding. And um, I think coming from a journalis journalism background, um, I have a tendency to like to shoot. I like to shoot in chaos. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like a healthy chaos for me. And what are you looking for to make a, you know, like what's a, what's a banging surf photo look like? Or is that up for interpretation? I think that's up for interpretation. Um, because there's different ways to approach it and the styles of surfing you're shooting. Like if you're shooting um, shortboarding, you're looking at more like high performance technical moves. Um, with longboarding, um, I shoot mostly female surfers. So I really like to try to capture the femininity in longboarding. It's like this beautiful dance. It's very elegant and graceful. And um, if you can get the right colors, it just looks very feminine. Um, and there is a lot of technical moves when it comes to longboarding as well. So trying to um, capture all of those things all together is really important to me. And then also just capturing like um, the like beauty of like females coming together and the community behind it. Um, so like sometimes I like to shoot like actual surfing and sometimes I just like to shoot the the girls getting in the water together. <laughs> What's the uh, representation in the water between male and female? surfers maybe percentage wise it depend where you are it's super dependent where you are I feel so fortunate it was part of the reason I started shooting here in Tofino is um our percentage of female surfers is really high I would say it's probably 50 percent in the water um we have a very it's a town of like probably 2,500 year-round residents um, and we have a really close surf community which is amazing um, but other parts of the world, like developing countries, um, there might not be any females in the water. So, wow. um, yeah, it depends hmm. where you are. And I was supposed to get out to Tofino. I don't know if I said that before we started recording, but yeah. there was that forest fire on Highway 4 and I couldn't get out to Tofino with my girlfriend Haley. We were kind of bummed, but it was still an awesome trip to Vancouver Island. So well, we have we just... to make our way back out at that point. Yeah. Because um, it's a beautiful island. Yeah, it's a really Bri special place. Brianna, do you have a bucket list or maybe a couple surf destinations you want to photograph? Oh, really putting me on the spot. I really want to go Sorry. to Alaska. Ooh. I didn't even know they had surf there. Like yeah, surfing. I'm Cold really surfing. Alaska. I haven't been to New Zealand yet. Um, oh my goodness, why am I? And Tahiti. Really... Mm -hmm would like to get out to Tahiti and maybe some more of the Polynesian islands. Is there it's a the best surfing destination? Is there like the Mecca of surfing somewhere? Australia or New Zealand, somewhere like that. North right shore of Oahu. Oahu, right. that's, yeah. In the winter? Yeah. Right? That's where Crazy. I usually am in the winter, but this is, this year I am not there. Those are some serious waves. So you're... You're just bobbing through those and like I don't shoot diving like into them. I, don't, I mean, 
I feel like I don't chew very big waves. Um, mm. Like I'm not, I live with a girl when I'm in Hawaii who shoots like ginormous waves. She's yeah. so incredible. Um, and I feel like when it's going off and she's excited, I'm usually like, I'm going to sit out today and like maybe go to another part of the island and try to find some longboarding waves. Um, but yeah, the North Shore of Oahu is Mm -hmm. a crazy place. Yeah. And how hard is uh, surfing to learn if people are listening or like, I've always wanted to do that. What advice would you give them? Surfing is a steep learning curve, so don't be hard on yourself. There's, it's not just like learning the sport and like getting to a place where physically it's easy. It's also like you have to learn how to read the waves. It's like learning multiple things at once. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Brianna, thanks very much for joining us today and telling, telling us about uh, your journey along the CDT. And thanks to Jasmine Turner. Who recommended Mama you come on the show? Yeah. Angel. So, if you have recom- uh, guests you want to hear on the show, some good recommendations, such as Brianna here today, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Thank so, so much. Thank you. It's so nice to chat with you guys. And until next time, take care.